0: So today is part two of a series on the end. And I'm gonna be taking a look at 2 Peter chapter three today and we'll be looking at it in the New Living Translation. So if you have a Bible, that will be where we are. And I'm gonna rather than reading the passage start to finish. I'm going to read it as I go through the verses. The title of today's message is Living Holy Lives as We Anticipate the Lord's Return. Now, this is a little more of a serious message, uh, not as lighthearted as some, but there's good news at the end. Our God wins. Our God reigns our God has everything under control. Do I hear an amen? amen? So there's good news in the midst of a serious message. So just to give you some context for 2 Peter chapter 3, I wanna give you a brief summary of chapters one and two, just so that you have a feel for where Peter picks up in this chapter. So in chapter one, Peter presents proof for the reality of the second coming of Christ. He deals with truths that are denied by false teachers. He he writes about the divine authority of Jesus. And in chapter 2, there are warnings. There are warnings about the false prophets and teachers who who were at work then and who are at work now. Now. Verse one in in chapter two tells us, he warns of false teachers who cleverly teach destructive heresies. They slandered the way of truth. Verse two tells us, many people will follow their evil teaching and their shameful immorality. These false teachers are greedy, as it says in verse three. They are proud and arrogant as it says in verse 10, they commit adultery with their eyes. Verse 14. They have wandered off the right road. Verse 15. They brag. Verse 18. They themselves are slaves of sin. Verse 19. So on the heels of that chapter, we're looking at chapter three today. And I'm going to read first verses one and two so if you have a bible you could follow with me. And this is the day of the Lord is coming. Verses 1 and 2 say this. This is my second letter to you dear friends and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. And so Peter wants to stimulate wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. That sounds like a good thing for a teacher to do. Verse 2 tells us Peter wants us to recognize the errors of the false teachers by comparing their teaching to the teachings of the Old Testament prophets. And here are just a few of those teachings of the Old Testament prophets, or Old Testament patriarchs. In Genesis six, verses one through seven, it talks about increasing wickedness among people and God's wish to wipe them out. And then in Genesis seven, talks about the effects of the worldwide flood on the earth while Noah and his family are in the ark. And then Psalm 90, verse four, the power of God is described, and what time is like for God. Or Isaiah 30, verse 18, which speaks of God's patience for us and with us. Or Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, God's call to repent from wickedness. So all these things are probably wrapped up in those thoughts about remembering what the Holy prophets said long ago. And then also in verse two, Peter compares the false teachings to the commandments of the New Testament apostles. And this likely refers to the command that Jesus gave the disciples as it says there, as our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. This likely refers to the command that Jesus gave the disciples to love one another as he has loved us. Does that sound familiar to us? And that's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. But we're gonna come back to that particular thought a little bit later. Let's go on and take a look at verses three through seven. And I'm gonna read that for you. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forgot that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought forth the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water, verse six, to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. So I wanna go back and look at some of these key words that are used in this passage. First of all, in verse three, the word scoffers is used. Not exactly a word that you and I use every day. But what does it mean It's someone who defies and renounces the truth. Or mockers. Someone who makes fun of the truth. They were making fun and following their own desires. And verse four, they were they were spouting falsehoods. They were arrogantly speaking about the teaching of Christ. What happened? to the promise that Jesus is coming again. Kind of an arrogant view. He's forgotten us, they would say. He's not coming back. He doesn't know about us. He's not able to do that, spouting falsehoods. Do you understand? Or verse five, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens and the earth long ago deliberately forgot. They must have gotten here some other way. How could God possibly have done that? A deliberate forgetting and denial that God made the heavens. That's false teaching. Or verse five, by by his command, he brought the flood to destroy the wickedness of man. And by by his command, he created the world And then by his command, he brought the flood to destroy the wickedness of man. By his command, brothers and sisters, our God is Lord. Do you, is there an amen in the house? Our God is the one who has created. Our God is the one who decided when he would create. Our God is the one who decided when he would bring the flood. Our God is the one who will destroy wickedness in the earth. Is that right? And verse 7, by his command, he has reserved ungodly people for a day of judgment and destruction. And as it says, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire to purge evil and destroy wickedness. Like I said, this is not especially a light message, but this is the truth of God's word. Is that true? Amen. So going on, let's look at verses eight and nine. And I'm gonna read it for you. But you must not forget one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Well, verse 8 contrasts our short human lives and God's eternity. What a day is like to us, versus what a day is like to God. And in verse 8 is a a reference to Psalm 90. I mentioned Psalm 90 earlier. Psalm 90 verse 4 says this, for you a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. So this theme is not just something that Peter has invented. He's, He's calling on the the truth of the Old Testament in in the argument that he's making here, underlining, for you, it's it's a fleeting time for you. And in verse eight, although a thousand years may seem long by human standards, from God's eternal perspective, it's short. And in verse nine also, It refers to God's long-suffering. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Uh, in the Old Testament, the idea of delaying something was common. Abraham experienced delay. You look at Genesis for that. Isaac experienced delay. Jacob experienced delay. Joseph experienced delay, Moses experienced delay, David experienced delay, plus the Old Testament prophets prophesied of the coming doom and exile of God's people in Babylon, which was more delay because it didn't just happen right away. But in verse nine, we see God's long suffering You know, I was reflecting on this verse over the last couple of weeks, and I thought, I'm awfully glad that God didn't wrap things up 150 years ago. Aren't you? Because none of us would be sitting here today if he decided I'll wrap it up in, I can't do the math right now, but 1872 or so. Aren't you glad he didn't wrap it up then, but he permitted you and I to be born. You and I to come to salvation in Christ. You and I to experience abundant life in Christ. He's been patient and he's long suffering and he's got the door open. He's, he's got the door open. He's saying more come, more come, more come to me. Our God is not slack. He's keeping the gates open as long as possible so that as many as possible will come to trust in him. Now, not everyone will know him, but he gives them the opportunity to repent. And he and he alone will decide when time is up. But time will be up. Amen? So here's just a few examples of this thought. First of all, the thought of advance notice. Um, Just like God gave advance notice through the prophets, it's coming, it's coming, the time is coming, be ready. This past summer, the county that I live in, the sheriff's department announced in advance that they were going to be strictly enforcing the speed limit between this date and that date. So they gave us a heads up in advance, and they were out there. I saw their cars. We got a heads up to be alert, and I remember driving up 17 one time near South Mills, and I saw not only one sheriff pull over somebody, but there was like two others, that were there also, and it's like, wow, these guys are out there and they're doing as they said, they're enforcing it, which I'm glad for. But also, if you've traveled on an airplane and if you've been through an airport, ready for a flight, here's kind of how it goes at the gate. Well, first of all, the military can board then people with strollers and small children, then by groups, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, then standby flyers, and then the final call where boarding is finished. And once everyone is on the jet and in their seats, the door is closed, and they usually tell you when you're in your seat, the door has been closed no one else is permitted to enter. The jet pushes away from the gate and taxis to the runway. So if you didn't make it on the plane by then, sorry, you have to wait for another flight. Or in the, in the, in the sense of unexpected, many moons ago, I was a bank teller in Northern Virginia. And one day, the auditors showed up unannounced at our bank branch. They put tape across the money safes. You know, each teller has a safe where they store their cash and their paperwork from closing and opening and their cash drawer. So they put tape across the money safe so that no one could open the safe and make adjustments to how we left things the previous evening. The auditor stood there and watched me as I opened the safe, pulled out the money, and counted it. And they compared what I counted then to my previous evening's balance sheet to make sure that the balances matched. And praise the Lord, they did. <laughs> but That was a surprise, that wasn't expected. Just to give you that feel for the unexpected. So then we get to verses 10 through 13 in this passage. And I'm gonna read that for you. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Amen. So the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. As verse 10 says, the very elements themselves will disappear. You and I are called to be ready at all times for this c- cataclysmic event. Now Jesus taught about the destruction of Jerusalem and of his future return. He warned us to be ready for his sudden and ex- unexpected return. It will, it will be catastrophic, and it will be a catastrophic end for those who are not living right. You and I, his followers, must be ready at all times. We too will be held accountable for how we lived. In verse 10, the image of a thief in the night is used. Well, Paul, the apostle Paul, used the same phrase. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, he spoke of the thief in the night, and the day of the Lord's return will come expectedly, a common theme between the apostles. So here's a question for you, and please don't answer this out loud, but answer in your mind. But has a thief ever broken into your house in the middle of the night? or perhaps broad daylight? Or, have you had a fire in your house during the middle of the night? Or, did you receive a dreaded phone call about a loved one having a healthcare crisis during the middle of the night? Or, if you were a pregnant mother, Did you wake up during the middle of the night knowing that you needed to get to the hospital right away because you were in labor and the birth of your child was close? Now, I suspect that several of us in this room have at least been able to say yes to one of those questions. But verse 10, When the end comes, here is what it will be like. First of all, the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. Second, the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And third, the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And the justice of God in his judgment will be evident to all of us. Verse 10, the evil that now controls the world must be destroyed so that the newness and life of God can replace the death that now dominates. So we can also say God has unlimited power to destroy the earth and to create a new heaven and a new earth. Those are thoughts from verse 10. And that concept is reinforced in many places in scripture. So let's go on to verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. In verse verse 11, when Peter uses the word everything, as far as everything around us. It probably refers to the entire cosmos. The earth, the sky, the sun, the moon, and the stars will be engulfed in flames and remade anew in the new eternal order that God is preparing for his people. And... Verse 11 also says, what holy and godly lives you should live. Well, let me unpack that a little bit and think with me a little bit about holy lives. First of all, you and I belong to Christ. He has purified us and he has set us free from sin. Is there an amen in the house? With the power of the Holy Spirit in us, He enables us to live holy lives set apart to him so that we please him. And in terms of godly lives, the definition of godly I'm gonna use is that we surrender our lives to the Lord and wait for his will for them. And we want his will for our lives. But going back to the thought of being holy In 1 Peter 1.16, Peter says, you shall be holy because I am holy. And he's referring to Old Testament scripture when he says that. Our focus, brothers and sisters, needs to be on living holy lives. Well, Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. He died in our place. Do you agree with that? His perfect sacrifice made us holy. He washed away all of our sins and He made us spotless, amen? I have a thankful heart that He has washed me clean and He has set me free. I can now live a holy life in what I do, and how I live that's reflected in my words, my actions, and my attitudes, and I consider myself dead to the works of the flesh. Do you agree with that? I also want his holiness to permeate my soul, my mind, I want to have a holy mind, holy thoughts. I want my will and my emotions to reflect his holiness well think about holiness this way with me by think about thinking about what peter said in verse 2 going back to verse 2 where he says think about what our lord and savior commanded through your apostles well What were some of the commands that Jesus gave to the apostles? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, first of all, John 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, Jesus is speaking, if you love me, keep my commands. Well, what are those? Well, the first and greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Does that sound familiar? And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus spoke both of these things in Matthew 22. So my response to the holy love of God towards me is to love him back by keeping his commands. As well as the new commandment that Jesus gave to the disciples, which was Love one another, in John chapter 13, verse 34. So we can live holy lives, pleasing God, obeying his commandments, keeping our lives right with him all along. Well, let's go on. Verse 12 says, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. Well, we can hurry the day of God along by saying yes to the Lord when he convicts us of sin and shows us that we need to repent. We can hurry it along when we surrender to him and when we quickly confess our sins and repent. We can let him refine us and refine the impurities out of our lives so that instead of impurities in our lives, there's pure gold. I want some more gold in my life, do you? We need to cooperate with him. We need to let him have his way because those who have hard hearts and deny him and his power will experience the judging heat and fire of God. Let's go on to verse 13. We look for new heavens and a new earth that he has promised, a world filled with his righteousness. So after the fiery judgment spoken of above, above, God will bring this promise to pass. It will make room for the brand new world. Sinners will be judged, the world will be destroyed. God will reward us for both what we have suffered and for our godly lives lived on the earth. We can look forward to a new heaven and a new earth that he promised. And if you're interested, you can see Isaiah 65, verse 17 and you can see Isaiah 66, verse 22, which both speak of the same theme. So let's go on. Let's look at verses 14 through 16, and I'm gonna read those out loud. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless, in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all his letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are arrogant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture and they will result in their destruction. And so, Peter goes on, and in verse 14, just to underline that, he says, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And, verse 15 again, God's patience gives people time to be saved. Aren't we glad for God's patience towards us? Aren't we glad that he's kept the gate open so that we could come in? And he's underlining the fact that, as this reference has been made to scripture earlier in the year to what Peter was referring to Paul and referring to Paul in, in terms of his words being part of scripture. And Paul wrote of the same things that Peter wrote in this letter, which are, we need to be pure in our conduct, and we need to realize God's patience with us. I mean, you can look back in some of Paul's teachings where he says, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you walk in purity, our conduct needs to be pure. And because there were so many false teachers at work then, and brothers and sisters, there are false teachers and false prophets at work today. Have you seen, have you? are you aware of that? That are trying to lead us astray, that are teaching things that are not scriptural. False teachers, at the time, denied the return of Christ. Today, there are false teachers who deny the return of Christ. There were false teachers then that denied the final judgment. There are false teachers today who deny the final judgment or try to portray God as an old man who's sitting on his rocking chair, who's falling asleep and has forgotten about us until someone wakes him up and goes, oh yeah, 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 I need to do something. God is not like that. You know, my God hasn't slept a wink, but he's not tired. My God is eternal. He's, he doesn't have arthritis. My God is, is aware of the needs of his people, and he can hear us in a thousand languages at the same time, and he can respond to us perfectly. Amen? Amen. Our God has all the power. He has not just some of the power. He has all the power. Our God is in charge of the schedule. He's not just in charge of part of the schedule. He's in charge, and false teachers would deny that. False teachers distorted Paul's teaching on the resurrection. And they said there was a spiritual resurrection rather than a physical one. False teachers today do the same thing. False teachers distorted Paul's teaching on the grace of God and and freedom that we have in Christ. They say that believers are free from the effects of sin. You can live any way you want, say the false teachers. And live however long you want, because there's no consequences. Have you heard that stream of thought in Americana? False teachers then, false teachers now. We need to be alert and awake and attentive and aware. And then finally, Peter's words in verses 17 and 18, he says this, you already know these things, dear friends, So be on guard, then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. So Peter is saying, don't be taken in by the deceptive wiles of the false teachers. You and I need to be alert, and recognize twisted where truth has been twisted we need to rely on the sound teachings of scripture and the exhortation and teaching of peter and paul when it comes to these things and we're to grow in grace and to know him better now just you know we we could skip over verse 18 cuz it says Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we kind of say that matter of factly. But in terms of this theme today, the Lordship of Jesus Christ means he's in charge and he is the judge of the earth. And as Savior, he's the one who has brought us salvation. So he's our Lord and he's our savior. So, to summarize, be on guard, be alert. False teachers and false teachings are around us in our culture. (coughs) Excuse me. We need to reject false teachings and false teachers. We need to pray for the people that we know who have been snared by deception. And we need to remember the sound teaching of the Bible. The Bible. Remember the command of the apostles and of Jesus to love God with all that's within you, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to love one another as as he showed us and loved us. God is full of loving kindness. But the final day, the day of the Lord, is coming when there will be no more chances and he will judge the inhabitants of the earth. So you and I need to live in a way that we expect him at any time. Be ready, be prayed up, live in purity, get your heart right with God now. He's coming soon. Amen? I'd like for you to bow your heads with me and let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word teaches us, your word corrects us, your word exhorts us, your word gives us insight into what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. But Lord, we thank you that you have it all under control, that you are in charge, and that you have a plan. And God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to live for you. And Lord, I pray that if, if there are any hearts today who just feel the need to repent or to confess or to get things right, Father, that our hearts would be open, that you, Holy Spirit, would convict us and show us areas where we need to get things right with you because we wanna walk in a way that's holy and that pleases you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.